You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. I want to build on this sermon series that Pastor Russ has been going through so beautifully and eloquently about faith. And today, the subject I have to preach for you today is, is called a wise faith. And in order to possess a wise faith, the Apostle James says that we need wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. It's an often used phrase throughout thousands of years of teaching about strategy on a battlefield. Maybe you know it. Seek the high ground. In battle, it is the preferable tactical position because one's field of view is greatly enhanced by being high. The terrain can be seen for its totality and not just a part of it. The advance of enemy troops can be seen from afar and can be prepared for. During the 1980s, during the Soviet-Afghan War, the Mujahideen Afghani uh, guerrilla fighters outlasted the Soviets, though outnumbered and outgunned, because they took the high ground early. And eventually, all the Soviets had to leave the country. That's how they won. Because being low on the earth makes you vulnerable. You lack perspective of height to know where you are, to know which way to go. You can't see what's, you can only see what's right in front of you, relying only on your limited perception and gut instincts. Let's work this image out, though, in a different way for your life, because you're not on the battlefield. Recently, my co-laborer in the faith, Sister Ashley Williams, and I had worked from the office in the morning, and we were heading out to a different place for the afternoon. We needed a change of scenery. You know how that is? So we headed to to one of our little favorite haunts, which is the Tacoma Beverage Company in Tacoma, Maryland. Anyone know? If you don't, you should. All right. So we get in the car to go, and this is what Sister Ashley Williams says to me. I pull out my phone. I'm going to start the GPS. And she says to me, don't turn on the GPS. I am much too dependent on technology. Apple and Google run my life. I have a sense of direction. I do not need the GPS. I say, okay, rebel, revolution. Don't let the tech overlords of Silicon Valley run your life. So she gets, we, we start. We turn right on Rhode Island Avenue. Good, good choice, good choice. We get to South Dakota, she turns right. Bad choice, bad choice. <laughs> she immediately says, oh, That wasn't right, was it? I said, no, it wasn't right, but it's okay. You can turn around. So she turns around and heads down South Dakota. Well, about seven minutes later, we are going in a circle. There's a lot lot of side streets that just loop together. We've We've done that three times. Finally, she throws her hands up in the air, and she says, fine, turn on the GPS. Here's what a GPS does. It gives you perspective from above. Because when you only see the streets and the turns and the cars right in front of you, you lack perspective, and you're relying only on your innate sense of direction, which for her was not very good, but that's okay. (laughs) She needed a higher sense of direction. We need a higher sense of direction. Our good brother and father in the faith, James, he's already written about wisdom in his letter, as Pastor Russ just prayed through. In chapter 1, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. 
But here, James is going to flesh out what wisdom actually means, what wisdom actually looks like. Many people can claim to be wise in the world, but not everyone has wisdom, says James. In the first sermon, Pastor Russ says that James is writing from the style and the tradition of a Jewish sage, plain spoken wisdom. And here in our passage, that's going to come out very strongly because the structure is very simple. It's very simply, this is what wisdom from below looks like, and this is what wisdom from above looks like. So I'm going to do some old school Bible study today. I hope that's okay. I simply want to walk through the passage and see what it says about wisdom from below and wisdom from above. So first, wisdom from below. James begins with a question, doesn't he? It's a question that's confrontational and invites some exploration. Who is wise and understanding among you, O people? Imagine I did the same thing here today. I just shouted out, who out there is wise and understanding? What would you say? It's a provocative and I think confrontational question. And basically, the answer might be, yeah, I I think I'm wise. And James says, in effect, bet. All right. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. That's great. Let's talk about what we're talking about. What does wisdom even look like? He says that those who are wise by their good conduct must show their works in the meekness of wisdom. This is already very Jamesian messaging from what we're used to. James says there's got to be integrity between what you believe and how you live, between what you say and what you do. And he says that you have to have the meekness of wisdom. I'm not sure we can readily connect in our culture and in our time to that word meekness. What do you think when you think meekness? What comes to mind for me is probably something like unassuming, sheepish, silent. Meekness is not passivity. Meekness is not non-confrontationalism. For James' letter would make no sense. Because James' letter is completely confrontational. And we haven't even gotten to the most confrontational parts of it. Get ready. (laughs) Meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. Do I need to say that again? I think I might. Meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. Meekness is strength and principle under control. The image of meekness is often given as a horse that's powerful, but is well-ordered by a bit and bridle. It's obedient. And that's going to be important. So in the Pinterest language, I want you to put a pin in it. All right? Put it on your board. I've never used Pinterest, but that's, I think, how it works. (laughs) Now that James has set up that paradigm, he introduces the problems that the communities are having. They're having problems with supposed wisdom and supposed wise people. James says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Because wisdom that comes from below only looks at what is right in front of it, namely other people. That's your vantage point. Other people, therefore, become competition. 
Bitter envy and selfish ambition rule the day and run the day. Because if all you can see in your landscape is other people, the highest place you can ascend to is just right in front of the next person. Isn't that the story of human history? Right now, as I preach, the eyes of many in the world are upon two countries on the half, halfway across the other side of the world. One's big, one's tiny. There's a threat of invasion looming. There's a threat of war threatening to bring Europe into war again, which is no small thing. And I'm not going to give you my geopolitical insights because I'm in Washington, D.C., and you all have that covered. <laughs> Rather, I'm going to give you my theological insights or my anthropological insights because if we zoom out of Russia and Ukraine and all of the big talk of geopolitics, what we see is selfish, bitter jealousy and envy wanting more, and selfish ambition, wanting to make one's name great, wanting to make sure that everyone in the world knows I'm strong, I'm in control, I will not be played with. Because wisdom from below only looks at things from the vantage point of below, it sees everything as a limited resource. Everything is a limited resource. There's only so much respect and praise and power to go around, so i got to make sure I get mine. Because there's only so much money to go around, I better get mine. I better do everything I have to do just to make sure I get mine. How else can you explain the rampant income inequality we have in this country? Everyone's getting theirs at the expense of everyone else. This is envy. Instead of being grateful for the gifts and the talents and the success of others, we're made to feel insecure. We're made to feel deprived in ourselves. And we're hungry to have the success that other people have and make sure that other people don't have that success. Envy and jealousy sap us of gratitude and they sap us of humility because we can no longer see our own gifts anymore because it all becomes about the competition out there. We can't even be grateful to God for how he's blessed us because we're utterly concerned with the blessing of others. Another thing about wisdom from below it lacks a higher perspective. It only views things in the sense of the temporal, our limited stretch of time and imagination. Life is always running out of time, so you better make sure that you get ahead, no matter the cost. If you view things only from the place of the temporal, you have to make sure you vindicate yourself and make sure you win. You have to make sure you protect your reputation and that no one disrespects you. If you view things from the temporal, you have to make sure that whatever you do is noticeable and it has achievable results right away. And that's what results in ambition. We act in ways that advance our own agendas and platforms in one way or another, subtly, even with a smile, even while serving someone. We have to make our opinions and our thoughts known. Because wisdom from below views things from the temporal, we have to show no mercy to our competition or those on the other side of an issue. Because if you show mercy, mercy to the other side, you give them a winning advantage. And life's all about winning. So ambition makes people uncharitable and stingy when it comes to encouragement and love. Perhaps this is some of the dynamics that James is facing. And this, says James, is not wisdom that comes from above. This wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Oh, let's pack that out. <laughs> unpack it I guess I should say 
Earthly is a way of saying that that wisdom that the communities are espousing is sourced only out of the human mind, out of human consciousness, human will, and human ambition. The field of this kind of vision is limited, as I've been saying. It's only human. James says that's not enough. We're going to get into why. James says that this kind of wisdom is unspiritual. It is not given by the Spirit of God. It's not touched by God's Spirit and His life breath. God's wisdom is unlike human wisdom, for human wisdom is always about advancing ourselves, often to the detriment of others. And finally, James says that this wisdom is demonic. That's a big, heavy word. What does James mean by that? Well, I think what he means is that what ancient Jewish thought taught was that the original sin of evil itself, of Satan himself and all of his fallen angels and demons, was the sin of envy and selfish ambition. They weren't satisfied with their place before God. They wanted more. They saw praise and respect and adoration as a limited resource. They didn't know an abundant God. And so they had to take some for themselves. And James says, ultimately, that all human wisdom that comes from below is rooted in the demons, in their wisdom. This kind of wisdom only serves the world, the flesh, and the devil. We come then to the hinge point of the text. James says that where that kind of wisdom is, where that kind of wisdom from below is, there will be disorder and there will be every kind of of practice of evil. There is disorder in human community in the human heart when you don't know wisdom from above because the proper order has been reversed. You think that wisdom emanates out from you. James says that is disordered. The wisdom of the world, and especially right now in our time and place, says look inside for the wisdom you need. Seek enlightenment in yourself or from a guru of your choice who will advance the ends of yourself, your desires, your identity, your wants, your dreams. The direction is like this, outward and upward and around and then ascending up. Christianity is not a religion of self-enlightenment, of secret knowledge, of self-advancement or self-enhancement. I remember my very first day of, of seminary, the very first lecture had to do with how you even know anything. <laughs> how do you even know what you think you know? And I'll always remember, and I didn't come out until I was preparing for the sermon, the professor, the first thing he does is he walks up to a whiteboard and he draws a giant down arrow. He's meaning to say, you only know anything because God made himself known. You only know anything because wisdom came down from above. Because God has revealed himself. That's the fundamental direction of Christian spirituality. Don't get it twisted. If you do get it twisted, there will come disorder uh, and every kind of bad practice. Because you will neglect and forget the wisdom that has come down from above. So, that's my second put a pin in it. I want you to put a pin in that downward arrow. Now James is going to get into the wisdom that comes down from above. 
The wisdom that comes from, down from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The first word he uses is pure. This word is closely related to the concept of holiness. Wisdom from above is pure not because it comes down to those who are pure. Wisdom from above is pure because it comes from a pure God. As we've already prayed and sang today, we worship, we declare, there's nobody like you. As we've already prayed and sang today, holy, 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 there is none beside thee, perfect in power, love, and what? Purity. James says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Humans have variation and shadow due to change. We are inconsistent. However, James says the wisdom that comes from above is completely different. It is pure. Wisdom from above sees things from God's perspective and power. It, judges thi- it doesn't judge thing- things only by what it can see. It judges things by how God sees things. Wisdom from above sees that there's more going on than what I can see. That's a key point. God is working always. God is the author and the finisher always. James says that wisdom is peaceable. Another way of saying that is that wisdom is full of peace. I want to stop here because getting what I think this means will bring and make this passage make sense. How do you think of peace? How do your words hear it? How do your ears hear it, rather? Typically, we frame up peace, the concept of peace, as the absence of conflict. Let me just say again, if the, if the goal of James is wisdom as the absence of conflict, then James is a complete hypocrite because his letter is full of conflict and confrontation, even in our passage today. The goal of peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of righteousness and justice and wholeness. James is a Jewish sage rooted in the Hebraic tradition of the Old Testament wisdom, which is steeped in the Hebrew concept of shalom, which means not the absence of conflict, but wholeness and integrity in all of the parts. That is what James means when he says wisdom is full of peace. Wisdom from above is full. It does not view everything as a limited resource because wisdom from above knows an unlimited God. So respect and praise and adoration are not a limited resource when you know an unlimited God. Life does not have to become a pecking order and a competition to make sure you secure your name and your fame because you know a God whose fame is unlimited. (laughs) You don't have to clamor for money and things. You can be generous because you know at the end of the day you have a God who would take care of you. Wisdom from above values faithfulness and integrity above temporal success. We in the American church are so often tempted towards temporal success, towards making our name great. But from God's perspective, if this church, Grace Mosaic, never grew by one more person, if it shrank, 
But if it stayed faithful to the gospel, (laughs) to serving neighbors, to serving word and table, then it would be beautiful in God's sight. Wisdom from above is gentle. Because again, wisdom from above is from God, and God is gentle with his people. God uses tenderness and kindness to beckon out to his beloved. If wisdom and truth become for us weapons in our hands that we use to crush other people, we can no longer claim any kind of divine wisdom. That does not mean that wisdom is not confrontational and at times sharp. But the goal of wisdom is never the destruction or degradation of another human being. For if God treated us like that, where would we be? Wisdom from above sees things not from a temporal perspective, but from an eternal one. That's how you don't have to take vengeance for yourself, because you can leave it in God's hands. That's how you can be gentle with other people. Wisdom from above doesn't have to rush everywhere and be short and mean and harsh. Come on, let's get this done. Because wisdom from above has an eternal perspective not stuck in the temporal by what can be seen and what can be accomplished. Wisdom from above does not have to win. It doesn't have to hit back. It doesn't have to insult back. It doesn't have to tweet back. It doesn't have to comment back. It doesn't have to return coldness with coldness or fire with fire. Because if you entrust yourself into the hands of an abundant and gentle God, you can be gentle with other people. How much does the world need a gentle witness from the church of Jesus? And so how often does the church fail in this regard? Wisdom from above is full of mercy. It sees things from the perspective and the example of a merciful God who is merciful with his people. Again, wisdom from above does not excuse, nor does it make peace with evil. Please hear me. Oftentimes, especially in Christian communities, evil is tolerated, injustice is tolerated because Christians forgive one another, and there is mercy. But that often conflicts with shalom, with justice and wholeness. It has to be full of peace and gentle. It has to be full of uh, of integrity and merciful. It has to go together. True mercy is always preceded by truth-telling and by a reckoning. But true wisdom, and hear me, true wisdom always remains hopeful about the redemptive possibility in other people's lives. No one is cancelable because we were not cancelable in God's sight. It confronts injustice. It confronts evil but it always leaves the door open for redemption and for transformation. That's how Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies because there's always a chance for repentance. There's always a chance for restoration. One of the most meaningful people uh, to me in our modern world is, is Brian Stevenson out of the Equal Justice Initiative based in my hometown of Montgomery, Alabama. I am so grateful for the Equal Justice Initiative, which was started to confront an unjust criminal justice system that had falsely imprisoned and accused without evidence so many poor people who were convicted without evidence and put on death row. And Brian Stevenson started EJI to get people off the hook for crimes that they didn't commit. <laughs> and it, 
And he has continued to do that work, and he's building amazing monuments and museums in my hometown of Montgomery. If you ever have a chance to go, you must go. But what I continue to marvel about the witness of Brian Stevenson is this. No one can say that Brian Stevenson and EJR are soft on the truth. No one can say they are not confrontational. They tell the unvarnished truth about what the American justice system looks like. The famous quote, he says, we have a system of justice that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcome. That's true. But here's the thing, and I wear this shirt often. If you know me, you know I wear this shirt. He has this other quote, and it says this. It says, each of us is more than the worst thing we have ever done. What he's trying to say is, tell the truth. Tell the truth about the systems. Tell the truth about your own heart. Because there is mercy. But you can't get to mercy until you go through justice. You can't get to mercy until you tell the truth. Wisdom from above is full of mercy. Because it's full of truth and full of peace and full of shalom. Mercy is wise because mercy comes from God, who tells us the truth about ourselves, but always leads us to the door of forgiveness and to the door of transformation from the wrongs that we have done. That is just mercy, as his book says. Wisdom from above is full of good fruit. It's full of good and beautiful fruit because it comes from a beautiful God. And those good works are not for the praise of the people who have the wisdom. We don't make beauty for some utilitarian sense. We make beauty in the world because it comes from a beautiful God. We pursue beautiful community, to quote Reverend Dr. Irwin Entz, because it comes from a beautiful God. We don't create such things to our own ends. Wisdom from above is full of good fruit. And finally, wisdom from above is open to reason. It's impartial and it's sincere. Because wisdom from above doesn't have to play games. It doesn't have to manipulate others. It doesn't have to pick winners and losers. It can be sincere. It can let its yes be yes and its no be no. Finally, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, James says. Do you see the marriage here between the concepts of righteousness, of doing good, of living in integrity, and reaping a harvest of true peace in the world. That's what the communities are not experiencing. They're experiencing disorder and selfishness and envy like so, much, so many places in our world. And James is saying, instead, seek out the wisdom that comes from above and, and experience within your community a beautiful harvest of righteousness. The only way that the proper order can be established, says James, and the way that fruit can be born like this in your life or in my life is that you have to have the right order of things. Wisdom comes from above. Wisdom comes from above. Wisdom has come down from above James is saying something without saying something. He's done it throughout his letter. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Here he speaks of wisdom, wisdom coming down from above. Within this whole concept of wisdom and revelation is that the idea of the word and the wisdom of God has come down among us. 
It's a story of divine descent. It's a story of the downward arrow. James is rooted in the fact that the Lord has interrupted the story of history and has written his story again. James is rooted in that story. The story that the Lord looked down from above and he saw his beloved creatures stuck in the trenches, the pits, the traps, the foxholes, the foolish holes, not just lost but dead on the battlefield. Rooted in the story that the Lord looked down from above and saw his beloved sons and daughters not just making a wrong turn here or there, not just picking up a bad habit here or there, but car was totaled, broke down, stuck in a ditch. But it's not like GPS, because God didn't just come down and give you the directions and say, okay, please proceed on your route. That is what, must, what much human religion teaches human beings feeling their way to the divine through enlightenment and wisdom. No, wisdom came down. And when wisdom came down, he was pure. There wasn't anyone like him before. He spoke unlike anyone had spoken before. He healed sick people. He raised dead people. He gave a counterintuitive teaching that said, seek the low place become a servant. He was, in many respects, like us, except for without sin. He was holy, holy, holy. When wisdom came down, he was full of peace. <laughs> he was integrated within himself. Righteousness and peace kissed in him. He was somehow full of justice and full of shalom. He made peace. He did peace. He touched the sick and healed their bodies. He critiqued social systems and social structures that trod upon people and was built upon the backs of the poor. When wisdom came down, he was gentle. In fact, he said something like this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. When he could have condemned... He was gentle. When wisdom came down, he was full of mercy. He was forgiving people left and right. He was healing and freeing people from their sins. He was leading them to the truth about themselves, but the truth about himself. That he was big enough to handle the big sins. That he was clean enough to handle our impurity. Hmm. When wisdom came down, he was full of good fruits. He couldn't help but do beauty. He turned five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000. He calmed storms. He did good. When wisdom came down, he was impartial. He didn't play by the social rules of his culture and society. He ate with sinners. He ate with the marginalized. He ate with the rejected. He didn't cozy up to the proud or the rich. <laughs> he wasn't impressed by outward gleaming glittery things that we often are. He wasn't distracted. When wisdom came down, he was sincere. He spoke the truth and he meant it. He didn't have to manipulate anyone because he knew a father above who gave him his approval, who gave him his mission in life, who gave him his wisdom in life. When wisdom, well, I should just say, when Jesus came down to find us, <laughs> Dead in the trenches and the ditches, 
He humbled himself, and he showed the wisdom of the world to be utter foolishness by the wisdom that was given to him by the Father, by the wisdom that he had as the Logos, the Word of God, by whom everything had come into existence, by whom every image bearer, man and woman, boy and girl, had been created. He showed the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that comes from below, the envy and the selfishness and the disorder. He showed it to be foolishness. He put it in its place on the cross, which puts an end to all projects of self-advancement, self-fulfillment, self-envy, self-actualization, selfish ambition, because he, though Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he, though Son of the Lord of the Armies, made peace through his blood. Two sermons ago, Pastor Russ showed you that James and Paul are like this. I got another moment for you today. I hope you'll let me read another passage of Scripture, and I hope you'll hear the harmony of the Word of God, <laughs> and I hope you'll sense the wisdom that's come from above. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Where is the one who is wise? I ain't making this up. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, you hear it? Huh. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Because God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. <laughs> and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the wisdom that has come down from above. This is the downward arrow. This is the one who was full of meekness, who didn't consider himself to be too important, so much so that he humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that you might be exalted through his wisdom. That is unlike the wisdom that comes from below. That is not full of envy or ambition, but actually allows you to be free to give your life up. Actually allows you to be free to put your life in the hands of God. I commit my soul unto you, Jesus said from the cross. What is the good and perfect gift that comes down above all? It is Jesus. <laughs> this is the wisdom from below. This is the story that James is rooted in. It's the story of God. What are some applications from this, beloved? Place yourself in a listening posture to the word of God. Engage prayerfully with scripture as it is the word of God. I was struggling with this sermon, and it was not alive to me. It was like a skeleton with no flesh or breath. I just had to, I had to remember that I hadn't actually prayed about my sermon. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that as a preacher. <laughs> you can write a lot of sermons but forget to pray. And I was, had to lock myself in a room with just this text. Just turned one light on and I said, Lord, 
speak, for your servant is listening. Engage scripture in that way, as if it's a conversation and a word from God. Don't be content to just check off the box of reading scripture, but slow down. Pause yourself in God's presence like Mary did. Sit at the feet of Jesus and listen for the word of God. Show, secondly, show the meekness of wisdom. In our time and place, we are, we, we are taught to handle truth in two opposing ways. One, we're, we're taught to be zealous for the truth and to handle it in a bitter and angry way. We resent and despise those who don't hold to our truths, don't we? We'll do whatever we have to do to have our truth win the day because our truth is the truth and surely any means will justify the ends of our truth. That's the playbook of culture war. All right? We'll do whatever we have to do. Or two, we are trained to be passive and sheepish with our truth. We avoid confrontation. We avoid truth telling because it will destabilize our life, our relationships, and maybe our standing in the social order of things of the day. Why do you avoid telling the truth? Because you don't want to be rejected. Why do you not want to be rejected? Because you're overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. We haven't learned the meekness of wisdom. Maybe we haven't wanted to be in solidarity with a God who shows wisdom through foolishness. Meekness is neither bitter, selfish anger, nor is it passive sheepishness. It is holding to truth in gentleness. Third, be watchful of those who claim to be wise in your life. Many today will claim to have wisdom. Many will rise up in your life as teachers. But you have to ask, where is their wisdom sourced? Where does it come from? Does it come from above? Or does it come from below? What is the fruit of their lives? Is it disorder? Is it evil practice? Practice a posture of gentleness in listening and in speaking. Stop operating from an anxious place of having to win or having to have all the answers. And finally, prepare to take the posture of foolishness in solidarity with Jesus. Every age of Christians has a particular call upon it to be foolish for the sake of Jesus. That will look different in every age, but it will always look like self-denial. We are entering into a time of post-Christendom in Western societies. Historically, Orthodox Christian thoughts about economics, sexuality, anthropology, ethics of speech and service, sin and atonement and forgiveness, evil and the triumph of God's righteousness, these things will continue to look foolish, and probably more so. Prepare to be foolish. Prepare to not be wise in the eyes of the world. I'm not purporting some sort of America as a Christian nation myth. For the way of the cross and the foolishness of God should have been the way of the American church for the last 400 years, but it wasn't. They instead often chose the wisdom from below and perpetuated brutal, segregated, classist ways. We have to be prepared to take up the call of foolishness. Hmm. And finally, as we go from sermon to table, we move towards the fruitfulness of Jesus Christ. He is the one from whom the true harvest of righteousness comes. And these fruits on the table are a fruit of his harvest. And as we eat his body and drink his blood today, we eat and drink the fruits of his beloved divine wisdom that has come down and continued to thwart the wisdom of the wise 
from providing for us the model of foolish self-sacrifice and denial and love. Let's go to the table now. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.